something. Uh, I do a lot of traveling, as, not nearly as much as I used to, you know that. Um, and it, it doesn't matter, however, whether you're going through um, the, the airport or driving or whatever, it's always an adventure. I always kind of hear the theme to uh, Gilligan's Island or something going off whenever, or, or the 2001 A Space Odyssey. As, as you're going through TSA, it's not my favorite time. I've learned not to talk because I say the wrong things. Uh, well, okay, just a handy uh, tip here. If they ever ask you if you have any weapons, the wrong answer is, what do you need? <laughs> I don't want to talk about what happens next. We're just going to move on. But let's talk about trips. Let's talk about big divides. When I was a boy, going to church could be a rather painful thing because you're going to get yelled at. And the sermon was going to be something like, you're over here and God's all the way over here. This is going to be quite the rally, getting back and forth. God's over here. Now, God is pristine and holy and perfect and righteous in all of his ways. Fair enough. We agree with that. But you're over here. You're over here. And you're dirty, stinky, nasty, squally, stinky, awful, evil. And I'm sitting in the pew, even at seven or eight, I'm thinking, well, he's got me nailed. That, yeah, that would be me. But how do you get from here to there? Well, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. In fact, the best way I can illustrate what the sermons tried to tell us how hard it was, was by talking about um, Tarzan movies. Let me explain. We would come across sometimes, and as a boy, on, if, a lot of you don't remember this, but Sunday afternoons were death on television. And you had celebrity bowling for dollars, for goodness sake. And I, I never thought I would miss cricket, but I did. Um, and then you'd have, they would rerun old movies, you know, old Hercules movies with stop action figures. And then they also did Tarzan movies, which were stupid and racist and everything else. But that was all you had. And so you'd sit there and watch Tarzan wrestling a stuffed lion and get all excited. Well, sometime in every Tarzan movie, and in every Indiana Jones movie, it, I think it's a law, there's a scene where our hero has seen something he should not have seen, heard something he should not have heard, been somewhere he should not have been. Whatever it is, he is now on the run because the natives are, shall we say, restless. And they're coming after him. And see so that scene where they're running through the jungles and just, <laughs> and then behind, every so often they stop for the dramatic effect. And you know, things flying about them. And they go, oh, and they start running again like they'd forgotten five seconds before. And eventually they come out to the edge of this huge, what? Okay, see if you've seen the movie, this helps. Yes, they stop. And a little bit always breaks loose, doesn't it? And, and go, It's quite high. And they go, oh boy, now what are we going to do? And so they, you know, you hear behind them, they're coming. So they look about and they find a rope bridge. This is not an OSHA approved bridge. This is not good union work here, buddy. This is, this is Friday afternoon cheap labor bridge. And it's not safe. And so they always put a foot on it. And they're always going, eh, should I try it or not? And then they go. Now, they don't, they don't get all the way across it, though, 
before something happens. They get almost there, and something breaks, right? They slip. They almost fall. Everybody goes, ah! My wife and I saw the first Indiana Jones movie in Kilmarnock, Scotland, a little village southwest of the country. And we were sitting there, and beside me was this, he was a, he was a wee man. He was basically just a coat with a hat on. I, he, was, he just sat right there. And uh, Indiana Jones is about to fall, and he grabs my arm. Well, you don't touch people in Scotland. You know, I'm just going. <laughs> and he looks at me, and he goes, do you think he'll make it? I looked at him. I said, we're 10 minutes in, and they named the movie after him. <laughs> Just play with the sticky floor. And, and, but all my life, I was taught God is pristine and wonderful and holy. You are the absolute opposite of everything good that God is. And the only way to get there is a treacherous bridge. You better, you better get everything right. You'd better know every law. You'd better not put a foot wrong in worship. Clap off the bridge. <laughs> you read the Bible and you don't realize that what God didn't bring up in the Bible is the very thing he hates the most and you do it. Like harmonica. <laughs> or it was, it was like God was playing a game of Red Rover, Red Rover, Send Patrick right over, and they've got the angels all lined up. Don't let him in. <laughs> or that on the day of judgment, there was going to be a pop quiz. And you come up there, and they'll say, did you, did you ever dance? I'll say, no, because I'm British, and that never ends well. So, you know, nope, that didn't. Did you ever do this? Did you ever do that? No, nope, that didn't. What do you believe about the third chapter of Ezekiel? I'm going, nobody reads Ezekiel. <laughs> right off. I was afraid it was a perilous journey. In fact, that was one of John Bunyan's books, A Perilous Journey. How do we get from there to there? This is pretty serious stuff. How do we handle it? It's, it's, this is almost as frightening as taking a youth, troop, uh, a youth group trip in a van or a bus. None of them have ever made it. They're still out there by the side of the roads of America, broken down. I don't know if I can handle this. So let's go to an old, old story. Jacob had left home. Jacob had long been a rogue and a con man. In fact, he was a con man in his mother's womb. You've got to admire when they find their calling in life early and stick with it. And, and Jacob did. Well, he conned eventually the wrong guy. He conned Esau. Esau was big and muscular and athletic and hairy. Everything Jacob was not. And now Esau is angry, and he's going to come after him. So his mother, you know, basically just says, here, steal the blessing. She's, he steals the blessing. Then she says, run. And he runs, because Jacob is not Esau. Jacob's the, 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 the son that sat in the kitchen a lot going, hello. You know, he, he's, not, he's not the mighty warrior, you know, and not the shot putter and all that sort of thing. So he's running. And he runs 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 until he's so tired that he falls asleep and he uses a rock as, as, his, as his pillow. And he looks, he has this dream, vision, and he sees this ladder. And angels are going up to heaven and they're receiving instructions and they're, they're giving reports and then they're coming back down the ladder to do the will of God. There's this bridge here. By the way, 
we now know that the word there in the King James should not have been ladder. We found better, older sources. It was stairway, which I find incredibly cool that God had a stairway to heaven theme going a long time before Led Zeppelin. You know, that's, that's just... <laughs> I, I have a lot of time. This is a Sunday-only gig, so I, I think about these things. So he's, he, he's, he sees this connection. It's in Genesis 28 if you want to read about it. Flash forward to another story. This will all come together. Just be at peace with this. It'll come together. John chapter 1, verse 51, Nathaniel and Jesus are having a conversation. Jesus turns to Nathaniel and says, You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wait a minute. God is holy and perfect and righteous and true in all of his ways. Amen, church? And we aren't. <laughs> amen, church? I, th I always find that amen a little bit louder. Yes, we agree. How are we going to get there? It's not the treacherous rope bridge of you'd better do everything right and put every foot right and you'd better not make a wrong decision. It is Christ is going to carry us. He's the bridge. It's him. It's not us. Did you ever have to tell your kids it's not about them? Did your kids ever have to tell you it's not about you? Remember once my son, he was at that time just a, 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 a wee boy uh, and standing beside me. We were in Target, which I, I find a fascinating name for a store in a country that allows guns. Uh, but uh, you know, one guy, I, was, uh, I heard one guy say, I, I walked into Target, but I missed, and I understood that. So we're standing there at the counter, and the lady looks over, and she goes, oh, I love your sweatshirt. And so I started to tell her where I got it. She goes, no, I meant him. As we were leaving, Duncan looked up, and she, he said, you know, Dad, it's not always about you. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'll give that one to you. There's a gap between the Rogues like Jacob and rogues like me and the holiness of God. Yes, we live on an earth which is not now heaven. I get that. But that big bad divide is bridged. Not with a rickety, scary rope bridge, but by Jesus himself. And for a bridge to be of any use at all, it needs to be anchored on both ends. I think we can agree with this. Jesus came and has one foot in humanity, born of young Mary, dusty crossroads as a baby, one foot in eternity, before the beginning of the universe, he was. He has one foot in time, one in eternity, one foot in humanity, one in deity. He is the perfect bridge because he connects the two. And so when we climb on Jesus' shoulders, he'll take us into the presence of, this, of, of the great God safely. Safely across the divide. But to illustrate that, maybe we need to do another story. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, a unique word appears. There is one God. There's also one mediator between God and humans. A human. Christ Jesus. Now that word mediator is only found one time in the Old Testament. Well, let me explain that, because if you're thinking, wait a minute, New Testament's Greek, Old Testament's Hebrew, so how did it... 
the version of the Bible that most of the apostles liked best, including Paul, was a Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. That's the one they quoted from most often. In the Greek Old Testament, the word mediator only appears one time. And it appears in the story of Job. Do you remember Job? Oh my goodness, how could you forget Job? Job is suffering every reversal and pain a human can experience. Now when you read it, the, the Jews tend to collapse a story to make a point. And so it may look like all of that bad stuff happened in one day. It probably was spread out over a bit. Doesn't matter. He's lost his children. He's lost his reputation. He's lost his health. He's lost his wealth. And in fact, his marriage is not going well. Whenever you're sitting in a pile of ashes, scratching at your skin with broken pottery, and your wife's leaning over you and saying, curse God and die, it's not good. Marriage has gone south as well. And he calls out, oh, that I had a mediator. Oh, that I had someone to stand between me and God. Only time it's ever found. But the word in Hebrew that he used was not a word like mediator. It was actually a job description. It was called the day's man, D-A-Y-S-M-A-N. We never translate it that way into English, but that's what the job was. A day's man back then, please remember that this is pre-Constitution, civil rights, courts, police, all this other. You didn't have any of that. So if you had a dispute with somebody, let's say, for example, uh, you know, Trace here is a friend of mine from up in Michigan. Let's say that uh, Trace says, Patrick, would you paint my house? And he gives me a, a price. You know, he says, you know, would you paint my house for $2,000? And I say, absolutely. I paint the house, and then I try to charge him $5,000. And he says, no, it was $2,000. How are you going to settle that? There's no court. How are you going to settle that? There's no, there's, there's no legal system. Well, they had one system, and that was this. Trace and I would both have to find somebody we respected. Let's say we, that we went to Gary back here and said, Gary, we both respect you highly. Would you, for today, that's why he was called a day's man. You had to settle it in the same day. Remember, you had to work all day to have enough food to live to work all day the next day. There was no time for hobbies or downtime. No time for two-month trials. Just like some of your grandparents, you had to work all day long to have the right to work all day long tomorrow. So, we can take a day off to fix this. So Gary then come stand between us and make that, make as best as he can to find a mediation in between us. Placing his hands on us, speaking to us, going back and forth. And in fact, let's say that at the end of the day, Trace and I are still $3,000 apart. By standing between us, the day's man has agreed to pay the deference. If he can't settle the argument by the end of the day, when you brought in a mediator, they came in knowing it might cost them. And if you're wondering, yes, in Mesopotamia, in the early years, if it was a death penalty case, the one that stood in between, if it could not be settled, was killed. This is not an easy thing to find, a mediator. No wonder Job is saying, Where's my mediator? Who can stand there between God and I? Who will do it? And all of his friends go, not us. They do. 
They make sure he knows not us. But look at Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. But I know that my defender lives, my day's men. And afterwards, he will rise on the earth. Even after my skin has been stripped off my body, I will see God in my own flesh. I will see him with my own eyes, not with somebody else's. In other words, this is going to be settled. Somebody's going to settle this. And then the word is not used again. That day's man would sometimes come with a sword to protect you or to get vengeance, but most often he came in peace. And he spent himself in the cause of establishing peace, bridging a gap, a huge gap, with his own life. Now, Eliphaz, in, in, in the book of Job, did not believe that anybody in heaven would do this. In fact, he said, even if you found one in a thousand angels that would listen to you, instead of stepping down here to be the bridge, would tell you, just be better. How many of sermons have you heard that say, be better. Try harder. Teens, let me give you a little break here. Parents are going to hate this, but that's okay. Um, people always tell you to do your best. Nobody ever has. Everybody can go home at the end of the day and say, uh, I could have done that better. Why do you think sports teams watch tapes? Because they might think I rocked, and then they look at it and they go, okay. I missed that one. I should have been over here. When none of us do our best, and yet what do sermons tell you to do? Do your best, and maybe God will reach out and save you before the bridge collapses. That's, that's not what Job needed, but that's what Eliphaz said. Jesus came to show us that Eliphaz was wrong. God himself, through Jesus, will speak to us and for us. He will pick us up, and he will take us on a ride, a secure ride, a good ride, across this incredible big divide. This is not one of those rides you see at the county fair, run by a carny operator with two teeth, put together by his friends between beers. This is a safe ride. This is a safe ride. I'm saved. I'll never forget. I'd had a break from university, and I was in America, and uh, somebody brought up something called a mall, and I'd not seen one of those, and so we went to see it. It was amazing. It was, a, it was an inside store thing. Wow. And as we were there, a bus pulled up, had the name of a church. It wasn't one of our churches, but I'm not going to name the churches. And uh, out come all these, these teens, and they come into the, the mall, and they're trying to get religious discussion started. And I paid enough attention to hear their their tagline, their, their hook to get you started. They would say, are you absolutely certain that if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? Well, natural humility in most people says, well, you know, hope so. And then they, they would say, would you like to know how? And they do these papers. Well, a good portion of these are pretty young girls, and I was a long way from home, so that looked attractive to me. I was thinking, all right, I'd like to meet a pretty young girl. So one of them, you know, finds me, runs up, and she has her line, are you absolutely certain that if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? And I said, absolutely, 100%. What about you? And she froze. <laughs> and she goes, well, I, um, I hope so. I said, would you like to know how you could be sure? We are such funny creatures. 
and our natural humility makes us question God. He said, you're going. Get used to it. You're going to go. He's the, the day's man redeemer. He's the bridge. We have a better promise. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. Because Christ offered himself to God, he is able to bring a new promise from God. Through his death, he paid the price to set people free from the sins they committed under the first promise. He did this so that those who are called can be, what is that word? Guaranteed an inheritance that will last forever. The blood of Abel cried out for vengeance. The blood of Christ cries out reconciliation. Peace. You ready for this? About 25 years ago, we actually got pictures of a day's man at work, carvings on the side of stones. They'd been in one of the vaults in the British Museum for a very long time. If you'd like to see the world but don't have the money, go to London, go to the British Museum, because at one time, the Brits used to own the world, and they stole bets and took it home. So you can walk right by the gates that Daniel walked by. You know, it's amazing. It is. Um, but they, they haven't even looked at a lot of it. Well, they were doing some studies in the Mesopotamian wing, and they found pictures. And underneath, they saw in the writing what it was. The day's man at work. Knowing you didn't really even have all day to get this settled sometimes. They set it up so that you would be fatigued enough to settle. You would stand here. The one that you were against would stand here. And the day's man would stand with his hands on each of you until it was settled. Does this look familiar to anybody in the room? And Paul says, there is one who will stand like this and take you home. Who are we to doubt him? We have a highway to heaven, not a rope bridge. A highway of holiness. We have a wonderful, safe, joyful ride across the great divide. Saved, regardless of what you might think or feel this ride is going to heaven. It's kind of like climbing in a roller coaster and the bar goes clunk. You might not know much about the ride, but you're going on it. The bar went clunk. You can't get off. I've, I've been on many roller coasters where halfway through, I'm thinking, I'm done. <laughs> You're not done. I remember taking my sister uh, to the car as she was going to the hospital. To, uh, she and her husband, they were going to deliver the first baby. And she turned toward her husband and she says, I don't think I can do this. It's going to happen. We're going to go, and it's going to be a great thing. We are now, people, here's the thing. From now on in this summer, we're going to talk about the one another's. We are the bridge people. We are the people who carry each other across this bridge because it's safe, and we're saying home is right there. You can go there. Red and yellow, black and white, old and young, you can get there. We will carry each other across. We will accept God's invitation to be mobile temples of God, meeting places where you meet God and the blessing of God, and we will walk with you all the way over. We can't take away all your burdens, but we'll help you carry them. We can't stop all your pain, but we will not let you be alone in your pain. We are the bridge people. 
We are the one another people, and it is a safe ride home because he paid the price. We don't have to. We get to carry each 